Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Devs Like Us. Um, for this episode, we're doing things a little differently. Previously, we've had guests who were on various tracks of development. For this particular episode, we're doing things uh, from the education side of it all. Um, in a few of our previous episodes, we've talked about formal education and um, kind of how we think it mounts up to the boot camps. And so we wanted to get things from a professor that's on the formal education side. And we decided to talk to one of our professors from Norfolk State University and get her perspective on how things are going, the importance of formal education. And without further ado, our professor is the interim vice provost of academic administration, the executive director of the computer science um, of the cybersecurity complex. Uh, and she's a professor and former chair of the computer science department. And guys, we would like to welcome Dr. Williams. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good evening. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, Dr. Williams. I should Williams. also mention she's coming. one of my favorites. Awesome. I don't know if I'm one of her favorites, <laughs> but she's one of my favorites. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Williams' class was that that uh, that class I had to take before I decided to ter- determine if I wanted to um, be a computer science major. That mm. was the one-on-one oh, course yeah. I think she taught that one year. Or the Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And you made it. You persisted. Yeah, I made it. Made it past 101. <laughs> you made it out. You know, about 30% of the students don't. Oh, oh wow. I Isn't that, that crazy? That, class? that is. They ain't cut for it. When you, when you see the stats of, well, just being in person and seeing the transition from how many people start with you to how many people finish, like graduate with you, it's always astonishing because it's just like, man, like we had a lot of people and they just slowly trickle on out. Um, and I think seeing that is actually a good thing because it helps you to tell other people like, look, yes, this field makes a lot of money and stuff like that, but it's not for everyone. You have to have a certain mindset or certain drive to, you know, persist throughout um, programs and things like that. And so, um, you know, with all of your background, Dr. Williams and things, um, I know you've done um, a few jobs outside of, you know, the academic realm. Do you ever miss it um, since you've been a professor for so long? So... I've been at NSU for 20 years now, right? So anything I missed would have been longer than 20 years ago. Um, What I would say that I missed about the corporate world or the environment that I was working in, because I was in classified environments, you can't take your work home. So in the evening, the evenings were yours. The weekend was yours, you know, at um, the university, you, you work in all the time, all evening, all weekend. I mean, I, I sat right here at my desk all day yesterday trying to get something done. Um, had to go out yesterday, I was told, on Saturday. But it went out, but, you know, it's just one of those things. So I would say, if anything, it is uh, the ability to really shut down your work and leave it at work and not have it flow over into my family time. Mm-hmm. How is it trying to create that balance as far as, I guess, like, you know, is it times where you just say, I can't do it? Or is it still just trying to, I guess, like, make it all work? So people would say I'm like a glutton for punishment because not only do I have the family and trying to make it all work, I have a, but I'm a member of a bunch of organizations. And I have leadership roles in those organizations, too. And so, um, you know, just trying to balance all of them um, has really been a struggle, but one that um, has worked for me because I have supportive family, especially my husband. So he understands he has his own organizations. And nine times out of 10, he invites me to do something for his organization. Oh, wow. (laughs) Shout out to all the support systems. I love that, Dr. Williams. She she admits that she doesn't do it on her own. No, absolutely (laughs) not. Absolutely not. So one thing I would say that I'm a 
I've been a pretty good um, team manager, right? You know, we're all part of the team, get this done. And so I can motivate people to help me accomplish my goals. That's the only way that I've been able to have the success that I have. I love it. That's nice. Yeah, so, Dr. Williams, I did have a question. Did were did you always already know from um, from like early on? Did you when did you know that you wanted to enter into the technical workforce or or, or within STEM? Did you know that you were kind of always going to go that route? I would say yes, I knew. Um, so, as a child, um, I had my favorite aunt. We all have one of them, right? Your favorite aunt. She Very was a programmer. True. Um, so she graduated from Virginia Union. She was a math major, but she was hired by IBM. And so she was a federal contractor and she was a programmer. And she had all the things that I wanted to have, did all the things that I wanted to do. And um, actually, I was first introduced to programming in the fifth grade oh, wow. um, with basic in a gifted and talented program. And um on a Tandy 1000, that predates all of you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was introduced to programming then, and I was able, by the eighth grade, convince my parents to purchase a Commodore VIC-20. You probably don't remember those either, but it was, um, uh, I was able to program them. So I had a computer at home, Nice, whatever year that was, a long time ago, and um, I was able to program monochrome monitors. You know, they were just green right. and light. Wow. The text was like that that long ago. I was programming. <laughs> I had a computer at home. And so, it, you know, it stuck with me. So I took programming in high school. They had Apple uh, class logo. Apple logo, I think, was the language. Um, <clears throat> they called it a computer math class, but it was programming. So... That's amazing. It made People sense to um, pursue computer science at North State. And then for me, I received the Denema Scholarship. So it made it, you know, that Ooh. much easier. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so I guess, I guess after you did um, get the scholarship and you finished school, is that what kind of drew you back into academia versus, you know, staying in the corporate world any longer? Not at all. So um, while I was in school as a student undergraduate, I went to IBM for internships every summer um, because my aunt was the middle manager. I was able to get a job, right? Nepotism at its best, right? (laughs) 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 But I got to work on different types of projects and programming. um, And and what I learned in those internships were things that I did not want to do. My, actually, my first internship was overnight. I worked the third shift, midnight to 8.30. Oh, wow. um, and I was responsible for um, the programs that the developers created during the day. And because they were huge and punch card systems, they had to run overnight. So that was my job. Um, to make sure that they had run overnight and was available for the program. So I knew that that was not going to be my job, not what I wanted to do. Right. Um, the next time I was able to develop a, a system, so that's where I learned to work with APIs and OX10, which was an IBM operating system way back then. Uh, OS2, IBM operating system. And so... Um, it was interesting, but then my third summer, I worked on um, a contract with Dr. Deloach, who was the chair then, and we used the object-oriented um, methodology to create a retention and academic advising system, RAP sheet, we called it, right? So it was a precursor to what you remember as your eval when you were in school and people were, that's what we did. Coded oh, wow. all of those things, yeah, and we were able to present it to the president of Norfolk State and to the program manager. <clears throat> and so, being involved in that and um, getting to actually present the work that we had worked on made it more interesting for me. And so, I I received a job offer and I took it, and I didn't want to program right as okay. most of our 
students graduate, they don't want to do any programming <laughs> because back then everything was programmed. <laughs> and, um, but my job, because I was going into a classified environment, my background check wasn't complete. I had to go into an unclassified office at the DOD. And there I was um, support for the TTEP program, Trusted Product Evaluation Program. And that's where um, evaluators evaluated different software systems to see what type of security they held. And so the goal was C2 by 92. So now I'm really dating myself, right? C2 by 92. But um, it was a scale. It was the orange book from A1 to D's or F's. I mean, so you got levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um but I had to build a database. I was a database program. And I had um, a teacher that taught database that I didn't really care for at Norfolk State. And then that was my first job. So it was like, oh, I was like, God is trying to tell me something. <laughs> but it was a different type of programming because, again, it was with APIs and all that. So it was nice. It was fun. I did it for a year. And then I switched off to move into more security um, aspects. But um, to answer your question about how did I get back to the university, um, my husband then, was he my fiance at the time? Might have been my fiance at the time, had broken his something, Achilles heel had surgery, but he was in school. So I took him over to school because he couldn't drive. And I went to go see Dr. Deloach, who was then the dean. And she said, hey, you need somebody to teach these classes at night. I said, we don't program you before training. Nobody uses that in the real world. <laughs> 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 I that. And she said, oh, it'll come back to you. I had taken a temporary duty station, so we were engaged. So I was living back in the air, but I was going to have to go back, you know, after three years. Mm-hmm. But I um, ended up at the university because I talked to her. They needed adjuncts to teach the evening classes and uh, was able to get a job. And so, you know, I was able to stay home. Oh, nice. Nice. You know, I was married. So that's why I came to know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. That's amazing. We don't see, we don't get any of this stuff when we're, when we're uh, worried about our grades in class. Yeah, so that's what it was. And, and at the time, oh, wow. I only had a master's degree. Ah, and oh, wow. so okay. she lured me in. I started as an instructor. And after my first year, she checked my evaluations. I got great evaluations from the students. The students seemed to have learned something because I used to teach more classes than 101. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and um, so she, she asked me, if I wanted this to be my career. Now I'm thinking, I'd already moved back. Isn't switch me if I want this to be Yeah. She said, well, you have to go back to school and get your doctoral degree. And I was like, what? I'm go back to school again? I mean, what are you saying? You know, it was a shock for me. I had a lot of adjusting to do, but she made a way. She um, had funding found a program that fit my lifestyle and what I wanted to do as a newlywed who was having children, you know, and to go back to get a doctoral degree and she paid for it. And I got, again, only had to work about half time. So it, it, it became a no brainer. So it was something that I had to do. So I did three years later, I was Dr. Williams. Nice. All this time, I thought that's you were, you know, one of those little girls who's just like, I'm going to be a teacher when I grow yeah. up. And that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> no, it was all by happenstance. <laughs> but that brings up a good point because I there's a lot of talk now, um, you know, 2020, a lot of, there's a lot of boot camps that are coming around and a lot of people, I wouldn't say anti-college, but they're talking about other, other options. And I, I know, I know I made the right decision, but there are a lot of people out there that are considering, you know, is college for me or should I just go try to learn, almost treat it like a trade. But I think those stories like that, you were able in the internships, you were able to have opportunities that I don't know, you might, it might've been hard to, to get um, outside of college, but 
do you think there's um do you think like that's a really good benefit for for why uh one should go to school or do you would you meet someone and say hey maybe college isn't for you like do you believe college is for everyone or how do you think i guess what advice you would have would you have dr williams for others that are kind of trying to make that decision of if they should go to college or, or kind of like go straight into the workforce so you know i have that discussion with students every year right because our better students will get a job offer and they and they'll get very enticing job offers and they'll just want to quit and leave and i'm saying okay well you can leave but if you're so close why not just finish your degree right mm -hmm. um and what I will say about that is that we have had students to leave, didn't complete their degree, go and work for different companies, make a ton of money. Then they want to move to management. And guess what's required? A degree. A degree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they can't move because they don't have the degree. So we have had more students that I would want to count to come back to finish their degree, but because the curriculum is a better credited and it changes, you know, every so often to refresh, they can't get the computer science degree because they have to start all the way over. So more of them will get the degree in interdisciplinary studies where they can take like two minors and, you know, five core interdisciplinary studies degree to graduate. Wow. And so, you know, while you're in the thick of it and you're making all the money, it's great. If you want to stay there, that's absolutely fine. But when you want to move to those levels and the degree is required, you have a different, you know, decision to make. So I believe that one thing about the degree is that once you have it, you have it. It doesn't yeah. expire. Right. Yeah, we can get a lot of certifications, but you know, in three to five years, you gotta redo those certifications. Right. Expensive too, from what I hear. Yeah. 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 If the company don't pay for it, and most people don't get them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's you know it's so. It. I believe the degree. Um, you know it, it. What it does is says that I have foundational knowledge that I can read think and apply um, a skill set, right? And and it's specific to whatever degree you're in, degree program you're in. But um, as we all know, technology changes so frequently, we have to be lifelong learners. I mean, you know, the things that we learn, um, you know, they become outdated, but hopefully the skill set, the base knowledge is something that you can adapt easily. And uh, if you don't have that, you know, if you're, if you're testing or studying to test for those certifications with a lot of those boot camps and those tests you find online, then, you know, if somebody asks you the question slightly differently, can you really answer the question? Yeah. You know, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. point. Yeah. yeah. So, point. and yeah, and just consuming it in a in a time frame. I think that's the biggest thing I know. I took from college. Like you have all these things. How are you going to manage manage your time? Yeah. And put it in. And I know yeah. on the boot camps, you kind of it's not you don't have it's all you're not, you're not getting all frame. that stuff and the networking, like the people you meet as well. I think that alone was enough for me to make a big difference as well. I mean, that's how we all got together. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Nice. Yeah, that's that one thing. So I definitely believe in the college experience. I mean, and, and I will be the first to tell you now that you are peers and not my student. I enjoy all of my college years. Right. I went right. to the parties. I pledged the sorority. <laughs> I hung out. <laughs> I was oh, walking okay. down for Jim Beach Boulevard. Shh, don't tell my mama. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, you name it. I did it. I enjoyed my college years, but I also did my work, right? Right. So, right. like you said, it was about time management. I was there on scholarship, so I knew that I had to maintain certain grades, you know, to be able to keep my scholarship. Um, primarily because my, my dad told me that. I said to him when I got the scholarship, hey, I saved you some money, so you should buy me a car. And he looked directly at me. He said, you saved yourself some money. 
that put it in perspective for me. But yeah, so you know, college, um, the college experience is great. Um, my, but I come from parents who went to college too, so it was sort of expected. However, my brother doesn't have a college degree, so it's just all in the experience that you have when you um, start your college, you know, experience. I mean, he started in office day, he took a different path, but um, then life happens. So I encourage everybody, you know, if you're going to go to school, but you need to be mindful of when you're going to school, right? It, that you're there for a purpose and that's to get the degree. All the other stuff is secondary, but I think you'll really enjoy it um, if you focus on it and do what you need to do. And just recognize that you are there to get a degree. So joining the sorority, being in the band, all of those things are to support your career. And as I stated initially, once you have your degree, you have it. Doesn't expire. Right. So I guess that's. A, I have a good follow up question. So um, with all of, I guess unpacking unpacking everything that you've mentioned, um, I know we're all products of Norfolk State University, and I know we're all proud to be you know products of Norfolk State University. But are there any like new efforts that's in it, that NSU is taking to kind of like produce you know more professionals, you know more uh, or educated and driven professionals? I mean. So, yes. I mean, so now, as you know, I'm a, I'm a vice provost. So I see the university um, outside of just CSET and cybersecurity and complex. But I'm still the executive director of the complex. But so I would say in 2020, NSU has um, secured a, a number. I think I counted about 10 new academic partnerships for research and teaching. And so they bring new opportunities for students and faculty. Um, we have the partnership with Netflix. I'm sure you're all familiar with that one. We have a ton more. Microsoft, Sandia, Livermore, MITRE, um, USAA for our Center of Academic um, uh, Public Policy. Um, you know, so, yeah, we are, we are... We, you know, we have a newer president. She's been there about a year and we have a new provost. And so they come from um, different perspectives and uh, different types of university here to, to NSU. And I really believe that their perspective gives us um, some fresh ideas so that we're not continuing to do the same things as we've always done. So I appreciate it. Um, their perspective on a lot of things. So we are reaching out to partner with companies. We are establishing relationships for um, our students to get internships. We are um, establishing new things. So I just shared with the faculty, uh, computer, well, cybersecurity faculty, because now you know we have a cyber psychology degree as well as the cybersecurity. We have um, socio-psychology classes. So those are where sociology and cybersecurity is infused in the undergraduate program. So, nice. so I just sent um, an email <clears throat> to all of the cybersecurity faculty um, through a grant that I have for the complex. I have negotiated um, faculty development support and SANS classes. So you all know SANS is a very well-respected, trusted trainer. So I, I will pay for faculty to attend those classes. And if they want to sit for the certification, I have grant funds to help them do that. But I also negotiated um, uh, um, a, a relationship with CompTIA. So for our students, while they're in school, and they're taking the Security Plus and all of those classes. As long as they've taken the course that aligns to the CompTIA certification, I also have them available, the vouchers for students and faculty. So the students can actually get their degree, and now they'll be able to sit for the certifications and graduate with the certifications as well, if they so choose. So <clears throat> I think that's going to be a great help for our students coming out of our cybersecurity and computer science program. So um, I'm looking forward to providing that support. 
But we're also launched a new research um, area in um, governance, risk, and compliance, okay. which is like the quote unquote softer side of cybersecurity, where mm-hmm. we in, in the master's cybersecurity, we have a number of students who come from non-technical degrees. And, but they can write well. They can develop policies. So the goal is if they are securing their cybersecurity knowledge, but they um, like the policy side, the compliance side, now they'll be able to do that research on an Archer system. So that's now available in the complex as well. I feel like I'm missing yeah, that sounds yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. I can get any of these opportunities. Okay. I got some I good know. opportunities, but, you know, I mean, when you say Netflix and, you know, USAA and all these different I'm things. Trying I, to go back. Hey, you I think I have the, to come back and, you know, find some other type of degree I can add to my resume or something. Just get a book bag and walk on campus yeah, exactly. a little bit longer. They might, they might accept me as a student. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure we can find something for you. <laughs> Might put you to work a little bit, but <laughs> I like a little work, you know. I can do that. So, Dr. Williams, we know that um, you're the executive director of the Cyber um, Security Complex. Um, can you, uh, I guess, state some of the st- some of the cool things that you guys are doing in that building, or, or some of the cool technologies that are being hosted, or activities that the building is being used for? I think you might have st- stated some of them already, though. Yeah, so the complex is a research center. So it includes inclusive in the complex. We have the IA Ready Information Assurance Research Education Development Institute. So that is our NSA DHS designation as a um, center of excellence for um, cyber defense education. And basically, in there, you know, we have mapped courses and programs to so the NSA can say, yes, you are a good cyber educator. But the students do research. So we um, uh, in there and along with the faculty. We also have forensics equipment. We have Fred C. Um, so we have a ton of commercial off-the-shelf software that um, students use for mobile forensics, digital forensics, um, any type of forensics, really. So we'll buy, um, uh, you know, the different mobile devices so that they can actually use the software to be able to, um, you know, uh, do the scans and find the the, uh, embedded um, instances, I'll call them. But we also, you know, create those environments for our outreach programs, too. So this summer, we had a one-week middle school and high school camp, and they learned forensics in a week, and they have to actually um, complete a case um, using FTK, find it, write it, and present it, because we also want to work on the soft skills that our students need to be able to talk in front of people. Um, Because you can know a lot of things, but if you can't tell anybody about it, then... So let's talk about it. Yeah, we've had an episode about soft, just about soft yeah. skills. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We've so. seen people get promoted just off of being able to talk a lot, yeah. <laughs> being able to explain the stuff. Because a lot of people in the field just do not want to get up and, and talk. So right, don't want to get talk, or they talk at such a high level that you don't understand what they're saying, which is just yeah, as bad. Yeah. Right. So you can know everything, but then I just need to put you in a cubicle and let you do your work. I don't need you talking to anything. Right. anything like that. Exactly. So, yeah. So um, also we have um, Center of Excellence for Cybersecurity Research, and that's Dr. Shave's area where he's doing his um, case system, um, machine learning, and um advanced persistent threat research and all of that. So we got a lot of things going on. And then, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the new research for the governance uh, center of excellence for governance research and education. So that's the industry recognized center of excellence. So we have industry partners, minority businesses, 
So um, in that agreement, the students can do the research in the summers that uh, minority businesses will give the students an internship coupled with the CompTIA certs and the other certs. I'm I'm providing the best atmosphere I can, right? (laughs) Take advantage of it or not, but I mean, what more can I do but take the classes for you? You know what I'm saying? So, um, for me, you know, as I, you all know, I'm alumna of the program. So, the product that we produce directly reflects on me. So, I'm trying to do everything I can to make sure that we're producing great products. And we appreciate you for we that. We do appreciate it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and being, you know, one of your students for both bachelor's and master's, I got to see a lot of your dedication towards, you know, women and minorities and bringing them in and getting them early, like you said about the uh, program with the high school students. Um, so, you know, how do you feel about the current state of women and minorities in the STEM field in general? Um, not just at um, Norfolk State? Well, um, part of the challenge is there's still this implicit bias that lives across um, organizations where they believe that women are not interested. And so Mm -hmm. they turn them away from it versus encouraging them to participate. And I have a real problem with that because... As you were, Jasmine, I have had several female students to come through the project, you know, come through the program who could chop it up with the best of them. You know what I mean? So it's not a matter of um, if they're not interested and they can't do. You all all did. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But I believe it was just, you know, given the proper encouragement. And the opportunity, our women will persist. But, you know, um, that implicit bias lives, and, and not just with, you know, folks that don't look like us, sometimes with people who look like us as well, which is yeah. problematic. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I try to speak to um, young ladies all the time, especially middle school and above. So they can see, because for me, I saw my aunt doing it, right? So I saw her as a developer. And that was that role model that made, you, you couldn't tell me women can't do it because I saw my aunt is doing it. What do you mean? You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So if, if people can see themselves in the opportunity, they'll definitely believe it's for them. I mean, it's the whole effect that we now have with Vice President Kamala Harris, right? Yeah. Look at what she's going to do. I mean, just so that people can now see themselves in this space. And and it's going to change. It's going to change. And then one one thing that I wanted to mention about, um, you know, you asked the question earlier about should you get the degree? So we all know that when the economy changes, right, and our economy economy is going up and down, right? Mm-hmm. So as the economy changes, people go to school or they go to work. Right. But the thing is, if you have the degree, you have more likelihood to sustain through that ebb and flow in the economy. So that's another reason why you should just invest in it, get it done, focus on, get your degree, and at least you have the degree. Uh, so Dr. Williams, with, you know, talking about that implicit bias and things like that. So there's plenty that we still need to work on as far as, you know, making sure that women and minorities in STEM feel really comfortable in the space that they're in when they go into certain places, because that implicit bias also affects people's way of thinking and all that stuff while they're in there, which brings about uh, imposter syndrome sometimes where it's like, do I even really belong in this space? Because, I mean, just a few days ago, I was in a room full of like white males and I'm the only female in the room. And it was just like, huh, like, you know, surprisingly it doesn't happen to me too often where I'm the only female in the room and and the only minority in the room. And so when it happened, I'm just like, Oh, okay. Um, And they're all looking at me for answers about things where it's like they're helping to validate 
that yes, you do belong in this space. And so, you know, that doesn't always happen for everyone in those spaces where sometimes people are just like, they'll talk over you, they'll dismiss your ideas and things like that. And so with that, um, are there any ideas of how we can, you know, get more women and minorities involved in this field to really drive that feeling of um, being included in a space? So that's very interesting. And when I heard you say that just last week you were in a room with only, you know, Caucasian males. I mean, that was my life 20 years ago, right before I came to mm-hmm. NSU. Um, that was my, I was always the only, you know, the only female, the only black female. I mean, you know, so, and like you say, you start to wonder about that imposter. Do I know as much as they know? What I quickly learned, I often knew more than they knew. But what I realized is that I had to always let them know what I knew. I could not remain silent because they would take silence as a sign that you were inferior. So I learned to uh, use very pointed words to communicate what I need. So I didn't do a whole lot of hanging out, didn't do a whole lot of, you know, just um, bantering with them. You know, when I was in my work environment, I was in my work environment. And I knew you were always testing me. That's how I felt anyway. So I knew mm-hmm. I was always on the spot. So, you know, that code switching, that's real. Unfortunately, it is, but we have to learn how to do it. So I can go and be with my friends and I can say whatever I want to say, hang out, do. But when I become, you know, Dr. Williams, (laughs) my kids will tell you, oh, were you talking to somebody at work? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) My voice and everything changes because I have to make it clear that, you know, I belong in this world. And, um, as women, we have to reach back and pull people along and tell them the same thing because we all experience that one only and all of that. And I will tell you, the person who helped me with that the most was Dr. Deloach. Mm-hmm. I mean, she would encourage me all the time. She would tell me when I first came to NSU um, and I was working on some research, she said, okay, you're going to present this to the faculty. I was like, the whole faculty? Wait a minute. <laughs> ready to she was like oh you're ready and it was very well received you know but she was the one that pushed and that's all we need yeah. we need somebody to push us we need somebody to say it's going to be fine but somebody to be honest with you now right. in those environments you have to be on your game you can't mm-hmm. allow any little thing because they will take advantage of any little thing and exploit it for much more than it is so you have to be prepared all the time. Presentation is just as important as content, right? So if you might be very well-versed and everything is perfect, but it looks like crap, that's, they're not going to get past the looking like crap. So you have to right. make sure that your presentation is solid, followed up by the content. And for... African-American female, young one. Again, it's the role modeling. So I've done research on that as well. And it's the role modeling, it's the mentoring. And um, you can be a role model for a lot of people that you don't even know because they're just watching you from afar. But you want to make sure that you are always presenting the best case, right? And that doesn't mean you have to live in a box, but just know that when you walk into those rooms, you're representing a lot of people. And it might be, you know, a heavy load, a lot to carry, but it's the truth. So I am a realist Mm -hmm. and I like people to be able to operate from what is, not what could be, what we wanted to be, because we have to work to that. And you have to have willing partners to be able to build those bridges. So um, I believe we, we... we reach back, we lift up, and we provide opportunities for our young females to uh, participate. And you highly encourage them. Even when they get um, 
distracted or discouraged, you have to find a way to say, hey, I was distracted. I was discouraged. I was in operating systems. I didn't ever want to write a program again, <laughs> but I made it through. I mean, right? You know what I'm saying? This is a temporary feeling. You know what I mean? Yes. This too shall pass. Everybody that is in their doctoral degree, I tell them one semester at a time. That is it. One right. semester at a time. Work to get to the end of the semester. Because I don't know if you know, but when I went to get my doctoral degree, remember, it wasn't on my plan. Right. She right. said, if this is going to be your career, this is what you have to do. When I started my doctoral degree, I had a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my program yeah, was, in New, was in New York. <laughs> so I had to go do my residency requirement and leave my husband with my two babies for a week. Oh, I That's cried. You mentioned them in the beginning, that support system. Yes, right. that's real. That support system. But I'm going to tell you, the support system was everything. There were weekends when I just had to do my work. I would send out an email to my parents, my aunts, and say, hey, I need child care from this time to this time. And they would sign up and take care of my baby so I could do what I got to do. And, you know, that's the only way. But I will tell you, because it was so intense and I had, you know, these little kids, you know, I had to focus. I had, I did nothing else but go to school and I was able to finish in three years. Three years because I went all year for three years to get it done. One semester at a time. And I got to the end with my dissertation. And he wanted more and more. And oh, no. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's like I see the light, but it just keeps moving. <laughs> and I promise you, I was worn down. And I was like, I don't even care. I'll just be another ABD. Then I got this note. If you want to graduate within this three years, then you need to have these things by this day. And I said, okay, Lord, one more try. Right. Did because it was just what I was telling to the students. You are so close. How could you right. not finish? Yeah. You know. Right. So I it it came back to me, um, in that form, and so I did it. But um, we appreciate you for continuing. Again, yes. <laughs> again, you know, sure. if I didn't have, um, you know, Doctor Deloach, there were many days that I was like, ah, oh, the statistics for my um. <laughs> Please. and you know all of that no what t-test what are you talking about no but I, I don't, that's not what i do <laughs> a statistician to help me with that part of testing my um you know what i'm saying so she provided everything to me um that helped me to succeed and, and i just truly believe if it had not been for those things i wouldn't be dr williams right. so I believe that um, it's important for me to do the same thing. So when I get the call from um, the Crown Academy, which is um, the girls group to come over to get an introduction to STEM, absolutely bring them over. We create environments for, you know, using Swift actually on iPads that they're coding on the spot um, or using the Sphero robots. Because it's fun and engaging, and they don't really know that they're programming or how it translates. But we teach them that, and they, you know, it doesn't seem so daunting. Right. And so, um, you know, while we need you all to learn a lot of things when you're in the, in the computer science program, but the actual programs that we assign could definitely be more interesting. You know, just having those things run and pop up that little black screen. <laughs> it's hard, right? So I used yeah. to, when I teach um, 170, you know, they had to code an ATM machine. Everybody knows how to go to the bank and use an ATM machine. And the concepts are just what? Selection statements, control structures. Right. And we used to use function, and it was fun. Or the, or the cell phone bill. Do you remember cell phones when you had to pay for um, uh, different kinds of 
Yeah, it was after, you know, you had Roman and you had Prime and you had all the different kinds of minutes, you know, so that was before nine (laughs) o'clock. You know, those kind of real world applications students enjoy. Yeah. Because that was, for me personally, like, I know that was one of the struggle points for me going through the program. It's like, yeah, but when am I ever going to program something like this? Because of the fact that it's just, it there was no relation. And then um, in one of my classes, I think it was data structures. It was program this, um, um, what was it? Airline reservation system. That I could do. I like to take flights. Let me let me figure out how, you know, this particular thing works in the background about having a bunch of different flights, a bunch of different people trying to organize different times all that time. And so with that, it's like you guys already have already given me all the basic building blocks for this. And now I'm getting a chance to bring all this together and produce something. And so, um, yeah, I think I worked on that like just overnight and was like, hey, so I've got a couple questions about my program. I was like, you already done? It's like, yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, having those. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's relatable. You know, if I tell you to, you know, you're trying to learn linked list and I said, well, you're going to pop off five numbers and push two numbers. You're like, what? Why am I popping up? Like, <laughs> when would I use that? And so you know, yeah. I tried to find programs where students would actually use the concept so they could understand because that's the most important piece. Mm-hmm. I remember asking that oh, question every time. night. <laughs> like, when am I going to use this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that foundation, though. It, it is that foundation. So the, there's a lot of technologies that. Um, I've learned in the workforce and I'm like, oh, but this is just, it's similar to this. And I know data structures, I use that so much. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. So it's like, it's one of the things, sometimes the boring classes are, it's like, okay, I see at least see why we were doing that because it might not apply to a yeah. specific technology, but it's, it's everywhere. Right. Oh, right. Definitely. So I definitely, right. Definitely. So. Or it just becomes one of those things where you like kind of forget and then you get into a situation and it's like, oh, well, let me just spew off all this stuff. And it's like, wait a minute, that relates to that class that I completely forgot about everything. But you still have that knowledge that's embedded in you now that you can just pull from at random points in time. Um, So to kind of get us back on track, um, when, since we're talking about, you know, women and minorities, how do we engage those lower income students? Because with those lower income students come less opportunities for them because some people kind of stray away from those areas and things. But, you know, we want to make sure we give those uh, those kids those opportunities because if they don't see it, they don't know it exists. And so how how can we engage them uh, more in um, in the computer science space? So you have to partner with the schools, right? So, you know, I, I you know, I partner, my husband actually works at a Title I school, right? So I don't know if you know what that means, but Title I means that mm-hmm. the school is in a lower income environment. And so if you partner with the schools to offer um, workshops, presentations, then that's where the students are and you're bringing it to the students because you can't expect that they're going to come to you. Um, I do that a lot through organizations that I participate in, but I also get, you know, the random calls. Can you come and do this or that and the other? And um, I I very rarely say no, because I believe it's just that important. The, The thing is, though, again, at those age levels and with those schools, you have to make it very interesting where they almost don't even feel like it's science. Um, I never forget that I went over to um, ODU and I was a presenter at a STEM and U kind of presentation. Um, me and Dr. Abdullah, who's in biology, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but the two of us. And so what I was doing was teaching students how to um, count in binary with little random cards. 
And, you know, I had them to do their birthday because that number is never going to be over 31. And, you know, you can get five mm-hmm. cards or you got 32, right? And right. so learning to flip them and turn them and all that, they didn't know that that was necessarily what they're doing. And to the end, when I explained it, so one of the little girls was like, you said this was going to be fun. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in the space of 30 girls and I only lost one, I was okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I only lost one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was like, a good day. You might numbers. be in the arts. <laughs> the numbers are good. Right. But, you know, so they, they, you know, they just knew what they were doing, but, you know, once I explain at the end that this is how you count it. They were like, wow. Even the parents were getting excited about it. So you just have to, it's the presentation. And again, you know, to reach them, you have to go to them. Not going to come to you. Well, you know, I think that's, you know, the gist of most of our questions. So, you know, one question that we kind of want to bring back to, you know, the current state of things now and you know with the pandemic that we have going on and things like that how has the recruitment and retention of students been for you guys because of the fact that you know you're having to reach these students virtually and things like that so it's been a shift right but it's not just for nsu it's all across the country um so like you stated we now have virtual orientations right Um, We have virtual courses. We're doing our business virtually. So all of the pieces of paper that we have come to know have to be signed in, you know, pen by pen. Not really so much. Right. right? So it's Mm -hmm. a cultural change shift for everybody, you know, at the university. But in terms of the students, um, a lot of people are hosting virtual courses. graduate fairs, virtual career fairs. And so our recruiters are participating in those career fairs, right? And of course, they do the same thing that they would do if they were face-to-face to offer, you know, the discount for the admissions, the application, that kind of thing. But what we have had to do is create brag books or brag videos, right? Because students, um, you know, attention spans are different. They're not going to watch, you know, you know, if I'm coming to a CSTAT orientation and I think I might be choosing between math and computer science, I don't really care what biology is saying. You know what I'm saying? So they want to be able to get through. So you have to create um, palatable segments for students to be able to get the information and go. Um, it has to be mobile friendly. It has to be all those things. We have to reach people and the students where they are now. Um, so that's a change for us. And it's it's a big change. But now, you know, from the provost's office, I now know that the um, there are lots of things that we are doing. So they are trying to reach students. So they have texting, texting um, software. So you can send a text to every student on campus to give them the message that we need, right? Most of the students have the phone. They're not reading those emails that we keep sending them, but they might read that text message. (laughs) They need to learn. Emails is the way people work in the real world. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're moving away. Chat ops, Slack, everything else. Yes, right. Right. So even now with my organization, we going away from email. We use a Slack. We use Dropbox paper for running agendas. I mean, you know, technology, everything is billion. in the cloud. Everything right. is in right. the cloud. So you have to 27 be 27 billion, Clarence. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I didn't know chat was that important. So yes. <laughs> I use chat, but I know a lot of places still are heavy on the email. So <laughs> A lot of places yeah. are, but you know, it, it it really is just a lot of change for us, but we try and do our very best and be present where the students are. In terms of retention, um, we have moved our tutoring centers and mentoring centers to become virtual, right? So you still sign up uh, for a session, but you just meet through Zoom or, you know, Blackboard Collaborate. 
but now everybody on campus has a Zoom account, all the faculty, um, administrators, even the students. And it's offered through the university. Also have um, Office 365 for everybody now. So all the tools that come with Office 365, all the students have it because we have to make the environment such that students can use it from a distance, right? Um, mm -hmm. But we have to modify our workflows. We still have some workflows that require person-to-person -person engagement and those things have to get a different modality. So um, we're working on it. Um, to make ourselves um, comparable to our peers um, while still maintaining that, you know, HBCU atmosphere where I know your name is Jasmine, I know your name is Clarence, I know your name is Terrence, you know what I mean? Because we know that that's important for our students. So yes. we, are, we are working on that. Um, we have also offered in terms of retention, we know that we don't know what everybody, how everybody is faring in the pandemic and that people are faring differently. And so um, you might have a hard semester, but we are offering um, uh, pass, no pass grades where they don't impact your GPA. So um, if you didn't do well because you had an experience, maybe due to the pandemic, I mean, COVID is 19 is so up close and personal and you know mm -hmm. people are really um, losing the battle you know some students are having two and three people in a semester you know to just yeah. not pay and you know it's hard right so if the grades this semester was hard then they can uh, get a, a no pass class so it doesn't impact your gpa doesn't look like an f on your transcript but you just don't get credit for the class so wow that's amazing yeah. that's yeah that's actually a big deal yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do that. you don't always i was wondering about that just with you know for a lot of students being at home like you don't really know what their home environment is and how tough that can be for them and so like you may have like one of your top students that have been thriving on campus but since you know they're in the midst of this pandemic and home and all that stuff like grades just aren't looking well and so I was just wondering how that would you know eventually affect them in you know the progress of moving on moving forward to professional life and you know such and such companies saying well what happened here you know type right. of thing so well that's very true and that's the point that we try to get our students to understand so while we're offering this option we want you to still continue to do your best and elect your traditional grades however if it is um, a situation that, you know, truly impacts you, here's an opportunity to reduce the impact by allowing you to select the pass, no pass. But what we are finding is that, you know, some students, I, my son, he's a, he's a sophomore in Offstate. I don't know if you all know that, but he's mm -hmm. a sophomore in Offstate. So he comes and tells me, I got a 3.9 this semester. I said, oh, did you? I go and look and he every B down he didn't got a pass. <laughs> you know, so it doesn't impact GPA. So because it's not factored into the GPA, he only elected to retain his A's. <laughs> so he got a three point nine. But it boosts his GPA. So, you know, you know, he's playing a spread, right? A way to game the system. <laughs> yes. But you know, but the the thing is if he decides to go to grad school or something, you know, you need grades, not so many P's mm -hmm. or MPs. So we want students to understand that part too. Right. Well, with all that, Dr. Williams, we greatly appreciate you for taking up the time because we know that you're busy with, you know, all the things that you have going on. Um we greatly appreciate you, you know, coming back to, you know, just have a conversation with, you know, three of your, you know, maybe favorite students. You know, I'm not <laughs> putting anything up there. Listen, <laughs> um, we just greatly appreciate you your time, and we appreciate all the work that you're doing to, um, you know, really boost your students, incentivize the up and coming uh, possible students for Norfolk State and things like that. Um, so yes, thank you so much for that. And without further ado, um, Devs Like Us community, thank you for listening. And please don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, 
Um, and definitely ring that bell. Ring that bell. Uh, we missed it. We missed it. <laughs> you did. Um, so yeah, thanks so much, guys. <laughs> <laughs>